Welcome to the Mysteries Decoded podcast. I'm Darcy Staniforth, an American Studies scholar and lecturer, but I also love to explore the paranormal. On this podcast, we explore the paranormal, but also the occult, the strange, and the unknown as we try and decode the mysteries around these topics. Today on the Mysteries Decoded podcast, we are decoding BEK, also known as Black-Eyed Children, with paranormal researcher, investigator, and author David Weatherly, and folklorist Dr. Andrea Kita. For some people, black-eyed children are an experience they wish they could forget. While for others, the BEK are more legend than fact, more internet than in real life. But regardless of what you think the black-eyed children are, there is so much more to these encounters than you may have previously imagined. Our first guest is David Weatherly, whose book Black-Eyed Children is not only an incredible collection of the powerful and terrifying accounts people have had with these entities, but it also works to look at what this phenomena is and what it definitely isn't. David shared some of the things that he has come to understand around the BEK, as well as the fact that for as many answers as he's found, there are still more questions. The kid just kind of looked up at the young man and said, I want you to take me to your house. I'm so excited today to have on author, investigator, and researcher David Weatherly to talk about Black-Eyed Children. He is the author of numerous books, but we're going to specifically talk about his book, Black-Eyed Children, which is now in its second edition. Welcome to the Mysteries Decoded podcast, David. I'm so happy to have you here. Thanks, Darcy. It's uh, great to be on. So for the audience out there that does not know about this phenomena. Can you give them a little rundown of what a black-eyed child or black-eyed kid is? Sure. In basic terms, uh, we're talking about what appear to be children who show up randomly at uh, people's homes, in stores. They approach people in parking lots. Uh, they've shown up in hotels, restaurants, uh, boats. It's just a long list of where these kids uh, suddenly appear. They usually have very pale skin. They're frequently said to be dressed in old-fashioned clothing or modern clothing that's very drab and kind of normal. You know, it's just uh, grays or browns. Uh, and uh, very frequently, as you see from a lot of the artistic depictions, they're wearing hoodies that are so popular with the young kids. And, of course, their eyes are the most distinguishing feature, are solid black. No whites, no colors, uh, nothing else but a solid black board, very similar to depictions of the alien grays. Uh, these kids show up and they usually have an unusual or strange request. They'll knock on your door. They'll ask to come in and visit or to use your telephone or things like that. And, you know, these are kids that no one's ever seen before, uh, you know, not in, not at the location. And what happens for the uh, victim or the witness, whichever term you prefer, is that uh, they experience uh, first some distinct unease from the presence of the children. Usually, they don't notice the solid black eyes right away. Uh, they will start to interact with these kids who frequently speak in a very monotone fashion. And at some point, the kids will make eye contact with the witness, at which point that unease really spikes to mostly a flight response. And it's 
it's not fight or flight, it's it's fight. You know, there's uh, the level of fear just goes to the roof with people who are confronted by these things, and all they all they can think to do is to get away. So, are these cases they've cropped up all over the world over the years, and it's something that um, curiously has connections to a whole range of different phenomena. But when it comes down to it, we really still have a lot of questions as to exactly what these things are and what their purpose is. Yeah. And, you know, you bring up this phenomena happening all around the world. And really, journalist Brian Bethel's account is the first time that many people heard of Black Eyed Kids because of what he posted online in 1998. And a lot of folks are like, it's just creepy pasta. But in your book, Black Eyed Children, you lay out some earlier accounts. Can you talk about some of these earlier? And we're not just talking like, oh, 97, 96, but decades before accounts of black eyed children in different parts of the world. Well, sure. And this, you know, this for me was one of the key things when I started delving into this phenomenon. Now, I can tell you that when it first came to my attention, it was because of the, the Bethel account and some other accounts that came up around the same time online. That was the mid-90s. I mean, we're talking really before the creepypasta type of stuff. So Bethel originally posted his account in an online forum, and mostly because he was looking for answers, and he wanted to know if anyone else had experienced something like this. So in the aftermath of his posting, other stories cropped up online, usually from people with different usernames, sometimes anonymous reports. And from that perspective, it made it one of these curious things that you had to question, you know, as a researcher, I, I noticed it and thought, all right, well, this is, this is interesting. Is this an urban legend or is there something more to it? Or is it another phenomenon that people are misidentifying? And, you know, I sort of monitored the stories here and there, but after a certain point, I started meeting a couple of people who had had experiences that sounded very similar to the Bethel account. So that led me to start digging into it a little bit more and getting away from Google and online sources. You know, I reached out to my network and started digging, of course, through old publications and journals and so forth, uh, and eventually discovered that there are a lot of these accounts out there. there. Truthfully, a lot of them, a lot more have surfaced since the publication of my book, which was originally in uh, 2012. And when I dug into the phenomena, it was initially frustrating because I wasn't finding much until I removed the acronym BK or the, the slang phrase black eyed kids or black eyed children. If you start looking at the aspects of the encounters and the things these quote children exude, then you find that they are to be found in older accounts. It's just that they weren't identified as black-eyed kids. Hands down, my favorite account that I discovered was one from the Mid-Atlantic from the 1950s. And this was from a family who uh, lived in a, you know, it was a rural farming community. They uh, had this story, you know, about a relative who encountered this kid one day as he was walking home. And this kid was uh, leaning against a fence post, wasn't recognizable as being someone in the community. And uh, when the young man started talking to this kid, uh, the kid just kind of stood there leaning on, on the post, looking down at the ground and um, looked up 
at the young man and said, I want you to take me to your house. And this, of course, just sent a chill through the witness who stood there kind of frozen for a moment looking at this child and merely had the thought, uh, how quick can I get home? And the, the kid, as if in an act of mind reading, immediately responded and said, no, don't you run away from me. You're going to take me up to your house. This young fellow, uh, the story is he broke every record, <laughs> making it up the lane to his house and getting back in his home. As he's running away from this child, he hears behind him what he identified as something akin to the scream of a bobcat. Now, if you've ever heard that sound, it's a very weird and, and eerie sound. It kind of sounds like a cat. Some people think it sounds like a woman screaming or a child. It's just a, a very bizarre thing to equate with one of these encounters. However, what's really fascinating is that when the young man got home, he told his parents what had happened. And here's the response. The father grabs a gun and marches out the door because he's going to get to the bottom of whoever's messing around the property. The mother says, oh, my Lord, he's met the devil. We're going to mm. the preacher so that you can get cleansed and get a blessing. So, you know, here what we have is a rural community who even the term black eyes uh, barely comes in. It comes in in the description of the child because he was said to have completely black eyes and pale skin. And their interpretation, uh, given the time period and the culture, was that this is something of the devil, you know, something demonic that has come along and, and is interfering with the community. So, you know, this, this put a curious turn on the phenomena for me because I realized that and you have to consider if this phenomena has been here for a very long time, these creatures, whatever they are, then how were they identified in the past? So... Honestly, it cracks me up now when I see the experts that come out, you know, and say, well, I've studied the, the black eyed kid phenomenon. It's a modern, you know, it's invented on creepypasta. And my gosh, they're not even going back, you know, even online looking uh, very much to understand that this is a, a very, very old phenomenon. So can you explain, because you have so many incredible accounts in your book, Black Eyed Children, but can you explain a little bit about what this phenomenon is not based on your research? Well, sure, because the most common, uh, quote, skeptical explanations for the phenomena, uh, the ones certainly that I've heard the most through the years and, and when I was researching the book, are that it's either a medical condition or it's due to drug use or mm. it's a hoax. So... I'll sort of take those out of order because the, the drug use thing is easily brushed off. You know, for that and the medical explanation, I talked to doctors, I talked to a number of uh, physicians and medical personnel, and also I talked to law enforcement about, about the drug issue. So doctors and law enforcement will tell you, uh, both will tell you that there's no drug that they've encountered someone on that turns the eyes solid black. Uh, that right. just doesn't doesn't enter the equation. The medical personnel will tell you that there are a few conditions that will alter the appearance of the eye. Now, those are conditions like aniridia, uh, things that essentially distort the pupil and cause different variations in how the eye appears. They also create a, a great deal of sensitivity. They're 
medically very difficult to deal with. So people suffering those conditions, they're not running around trying to terrify people by knocking on doors. They're usually under some kind of medical treatment at the the least. And again, those conditions don't cause the eyes to turn solid black. The one thing I did discover in looking into medical conditions is that there is a potential for the eyes to, to turn solid black in color if there is a brain injury that is causing the um, <laughs> your head to hemorrhage, basically. So uh, mm-hmm. blood pooling in the eyes and Anyone suffering through that is not going to live very long. Uh, sadly, there was a, a picture that circulated for a while uh, that purported to be an authentic picture of a black eyed kid, and it was actually a child who was uh, caught in you know, some kind of a disaster, and um, you know, the child died soon afterwards. Oh. So this is not something that even comes into consideration when we're trying to find a logical explanation to understand what this appearance comes from. The hoaxing thing, back when I researched the book 10, 10, 12 years ago, back then you could get solid uh, contacts that covered the entire square. But, you know, at that point, they were very expensive to purchase. Mm -hmm. They were a couple hundred dollars or more for a pair. And I actually talked to some folks who sold the, theatrical contacts, and also a couple of people who had worn them. Not the black ones, curiously, but uh, some of the other, like the zombie version, and you know, there's like lizard eyes and things like that you can buy. So I found some interesting things. One is that uh, most of the people at that point who had tried them on said they were extremely uncomfortable. And they had a great deal of difficulty adjusting to them and utilizing them for very long because contact that covers the entire eye is, is bound to be... Uh, a little bit difficult to wear. Absolutely. And I think it's important to talk about what things are not, because I'm sure people out there listening are thinking, well, it's probably like everything that you mentioned. It's a hoax. It's contacts. It's a condition. It's drugs. It's whatever it is. But as you pull those things away, then you are left with, well, it, it must be something else. It has to be something else. As you've researched this, have you come to a conclusion of what you think black-eyed children are? Well, I'll preface that by saying that when I wrote the book, I took great care to not push my personal opinion and say, this is what I think they are, because there are so many connections to other types of manifestations. I really wanted people to, one, research for themselves and make their own determination, you know, come to their own conclusions and delve into the phenomena of themselves. Uh, so as a result, I presented a lot of the possibilities to explain what these things actually are. But my personal opinion, and uh, this may sound out there, a bit out there initially, but my personal opinion is that I believe that these are interdimensional entities. Mm. You cover in the book a lot of accounts. This is a very large collection of accounts in your book. Is there one particular account that just has stuck with you? There's an account from a gentleman that really kind of hit me in a different way, I guess. Now, this particular account really kind of got me because it came from a gentleman who was in the military. And he was 
home visiting family in Texas decided that he wanted to visit another part of his family that was in a different part of the state. And to do that, he was going to take a road trip. And, you know, he, <laughs> it's just another trip for him. I mean, he gets his, you know, thermos of coffee and, you know, he's going to drive at night and take some Texas back roads. And uh, he sets off. And at one point, he, has to answer the call of nature. He's kind of in the middle of nowhere on this old uh, back highway in Texas. He pulls his truck over. He gets out and he just steps a little bit off the road and takes care of things. And when he comes back to his truck, there's a kid standing beside his truck. And Out in the middle of nowhere. This is in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the night. Uh, you know, he... <laughs> He's, of course, initially stunned, and he's trying to talk to this child in a, in a logical way, saying, geez, you know, what are you doing out here, kid? And, and this kid, all he wants is a ride. You know, he's, I, I, want, you know, I want a ride in your truck. You know, you, you, you asked me to get in your truck. And this guy's really he, – he initially is, of course, shocked. Here's a kid in the middle of nowhere. He steals some glances around. He's looking around to see if there's any lights or anything from the house anywhere. Uh, there's, there's just not, you know, the closest one is pretty far away. And he is, uh, this kid is on the driver's side of the truck, but further back towards the back half of the truck. And this gentleman, this witness gets so creeped out by this kid that he ends up sort of opening the door and kind of backing into the driver's seat. And he, puts the gas down and drives away from this kid. Now, he gets a little ways down the road, and it's as if his train suddenly kicks in, and he thinks, geez, you know, what am I doing? I'm leaving some kid, you know, here in the middle of nowhere. He probably just needs help. Why did I get so, you know, creeped out? What what terrified me all of a sudden? So he takes a U-turn, he goes back, and he finds this spot, and there's no sign of this kid anywhere. Uh, he, you know, he looks all around. He can't find any indications of this kid. And now he's even more creeped out. So <laughs> he gets back in the truck and he doesn't stop until he's at his destination. And uh, he told me that when he got to where he was going, he couldn't sleep. He just couldn't get this out of his consciousness. And that since then, he hasn't been able to drive at night. You know, mm. he just wouldn't drive at night anymore and just... uh you know, had no explanation, but this encounter, you know, it fit all of the parameters of these Black Eyed Kid accounts. And, and of course, for me, you know, a couple of stunning things is this sort of shows that whatever this is that people are dealing with, this, this these entities or this consciousness or whatever it is, it really can come in at any time. It can occur at any moment. It doesn't seem to matter where you are. And here's a, a military man who... You know, he's trained for combat. He's, he's mm -hmm. trained for the unexpected. He's trained for, you know, a whole range of things. And he's suddenly terrified by a little kid. So, you know, to listen to someone like that tell their story, it's, it's very, uh, it's fascinating and, and creepy at the same time because you're thinking, geez, you know, what, uh, <laughs> what is it that caused this level of fear in this guy who normally you know, should not have this kind of experience. Sure. Absolutely. And I've driven through 
Texas at night on a road trip. And there are definitely large parts of Texas where there is nothing for miles and miles and miles. And it is pitch dark other than your headlights and someone else's oh, headlights yes. if they're coming through. You get the starscape and that's about it. <laughs> right. And so yeah. when you think about black-eyed children in a neighborhood, while it is still creepy and frightening, there's still that like, oh, maybe these are kids tricking and hiding somewhere that I can't see them. Maybe they've just, they've been able to pop behind something. But out in the middle of nowhere where there's nothing, like right. on that kind of landscape where if someone was running into a, a pasture, you could see them for miles. Like there they are. Oh, that well, just. Sure. And if there's another vehicle, I mean, you're going to see taillights for a great distance or the headlights. Yeah. And I mean, there's just, there's nothing, you know, it, it's, um, it, it really is the middle of nowhere that this thing occurred. And those kind of experiences, as you pointed out, are even more startling in many ways than the ones that show up in a suburban neighborhood or, or you know, in a, a grocery store parking lot or something, because there's something much more uniquely unsettling about them. You've got the devil in you. He's put evil inside of you. Not today, safe. So we have a couple Twitter questions that I'd, I'd like to ask from some of our listeners out there. Listener at Quinoa Asai asks, have you heard an account of anyone actually trying to summon or manifest the black-eyed children? Yes, but uh, not something that there are a lot of details to. You know, there are a number of these accounts, particularly in England, of what they term black-eyed ghosts. And there have been some people who have attempted to make contact with those children there. You know, there are people that have attempted to use Ouija boards and other various devices in order to, uh, as you say, summon these entities forward. So Mm -hmm. demonologists will tell you that, okay, well, a demon can manifest in the form of a man, a woman, or even a child, sure, but something is going to be deformed, you know, if it's a a hand or a foot. And of course, the question is, you know, perhaps it's the eyes that are deformed or distorted so that they're not quite human. So we get into this concept that these things are some kind of demonic entity. And uh, yeah, there are a few stories out there of people trying to summon them. But, you know, once again, uh, (laughs) that, that just creates a lot more questions, I believe. Absolutely. And then our listener at V-Dubs and Space Buds asked, has there been an example of someone actually letting the black-eyed children in? There has been, and that's actually covered in the book. So a woman is uh, driving home. She has her young child in the back seat of her car, and she stops at a uh, local convenience store to grab a couple of items. Uh, she jumps out of her vehicle, rushes in. She's grabbing her bread and her milk or whatever. And she comes back out on autopilot. You know, a lot of us have been there before and done that. Jumping in the car, putting the key in and turning the engine over as we're checking the mirror or the sides. And as she is going through these motions, she looks in the rearview mirror. And she sees directly behind her a black-eyed child looking back in the mirror. What? So this black-eyed child is sitting right up against her kid, uh, shoulder to shoulder. And she is immediately terrified. She jumps out of the vehicle. She jerks open the back door. 
she yanks her son out, and she rushes back into the store. When she comes barreling in, the clerk is, is of course, you know, shocked and wondering what's going on. And all she can stammer out is that there's someone in her car. So the mm. clerk runs out thinking, you know, it, it, he's you know, thinking, was well, it's a carjacking or that, you know, what's going on here. So he runs out, but when he gets outside, what he finds is her vehicle with the engine running and two doors standing open. Now it's a, it's a wide open parking lot of convenience stores. No one else around. He looks around. There's no sign of anyone. Mm. So he goes back inside and he says, I don't, know what you're talking about what does this person look like i'm calling the law <laughs> you know she just says no 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 just i i don't want to do that i'm just going to call my husband don't you know don't call the authorities so she kind of talks the clerk down she calls her husband and she doesn't explain to him what has occurred she just okay. says I, I need i need you to just come meet me just right away just please come over here so the husband not knowing what's happened gets over to the convenience store she still doesn't tell him. She says, just, I can't drive my car. Just you take it and let me take your vehicle. Mm-hmm. So the husband is puzzled, of course, but he says, all right, okay. So she gets in her husband's vehicle, takes her son, goes home. The husband gets in her vehicle, heads for home. Partway there, gets into an accident and ends up in the hospital. Now, the last thing he remembers is a foul odor. Mm. And then he lost consciousness. So, you know, the doctors are thinking all these different things. Oh, was it, you know, some kind of gas or was there, you know, was there a gas exhaust leak or, you know, leak or, you know, what was going on? But they can't really explain it. Uh, they think at first he's got a concussion, so they kind of observe him initially. Uh, meanwhile, at home, this woman is trying to determine exactly what went on. She's talking to her son and she says, uh, you know, did you, do you know that boy from school? And the child responds, no, mommy, I don't, I don't know. And she says, well, what was he doing in our car? And the response is uh, her son states, I thought we could play. Mm. Um, so I asked him to get in. Now, this is a, a key thing that I don't think we covered earlier, and I'll, I'll sidetrack for just a moment here because it's very important that in these encounters, there seems to be something that prevents these children from entering a premises or a vehicle or anything else unless they're invited. Like a vampire. So in this case, we have a situation where a child has issued the invitation to another child. And this in itself is very rare because these encounters almost always involve adults encountering children. It's very rare that a a child or a very young person encounters a black-eyed kid, but that's what happened in this case. Now, meanwhile, what has happened with her husband, of course, she, you know, she finds out about the accident, and there's no explanation as to why he suddenly passed out and wrecked in the vehicle. But the most disturbing thing, about this case is the turn that it takes next. And that's that the the couple, they, they find that their son falls ill. And mm. of course, they take him to the doctor. And, you know, the puzzle is that the symptoms that this child displays, they keep changing. So 
the doctors go through this whole range of things trying to, quote, solve what's wrong with this boy. You know, they think he has. Oh, that it really goes through it. You know, they think he has the flu. You know, at one point, they think he has um, appendicitis. Uh, and then something else happens. You know, his, his symptoms shift and they, he breaks out and they say, oh, he's got uh, measles. He probably has some kind of flu. We're going to take him home and we'll just, you know, we'll keep him on, on fluids and cold medicine or whatever. And, and you know, we'll, we'll check back in. So they get their child home and they've realized that something much stranger is occurring with this case. Mm. And the end result is that the parents sort of, uh, they were not practicing their religion, their traditional religion, but they sort of go back to it at this point because they determine that you know, when all else fails, I guess we revert back to some type of faith, and they end up having a prayer circle come and pray over their child, and eventually he recovers, and all the symptoms just disappear. So there's never really been an explanation for this family as to exactly what happened with their child, but they've always assumed to this day that for some reason, being in that close physical proximity to that black-eyed child, uh, their their kid became ill. Wow. That, that story is just powerful because what a harrowing set of events, not just with the initial experience, but then a car accident and then their own child falling ill with things that just couldn't be solved by medicine. Oh, it, right. it's so powerful. Yeah, what well, a David, brush with the unexplained... Right. What a brush with the unexplained. David, thank you so much for spending time with me today on the Mysteries Dakota podcast and talking about black eyed children. I really appreciate everything that you've shared with us. And I definitely, (laughs) as usual, have more questions uh, than answers. So thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. And if you're looking for David Weatherly's works, you can go to eerielights.com. And again, his book on the Black-Eyed Children is Black-Eyed Children, the revised second edition. So thank you again, David, for being on with us today. My pleasure, Darcy. Thanks for having me on. Dr. Andrea Kita is a folklorist that studies belief, medicine, and the supernatural. We sat down and talked about how the Black-Eyed Children may be telling us more about our own fears and anxieties than we actually realize. And I mean, we've learned anything from science fiction and movies. This does not work out well for us. Today on the Mysteries Decoded podcast, we have Dr. Andrea Kita. She's an associate professor of folklore at East Carolina University and teaches on belief, medicine, and the supernatural. She is the author of the books Vaccinations and Public Concern in History, Legend, Rumor, and Risk Perception, as well as The Kiss of Death, Contagion, and Contamination in Folklore. And her essay, What Happens When the Pictures Are No Longer Photoshops, appears in the edited collection Slender Man is Coming. So welcome, Dr. Andrea Kita, to the Mysteries Decoded podcast. I'm so excited to have you here this morning. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Can you give us like a good explanation about what folklore truly is sure, and what purpose it serves in our society? Absolutely. So I use the term a lot of times, I'll just say that folklore is 
informal knowledge. So it's all the things that we know that we don't really know how we know them or, you know, or no one's ever really taught them to us. We just know how to do them. And I think that's the same when we we talk about supernatural stories too. We know things about the supernatural. We pick this, this information up, even though it's something we're not supposed to talk about and we're not supposed to know. So I think folklore, a lot of times when people think of folklore, they automatically think of things that are not true. And folklore can be true sometimes. That, that doesn't preclude it. If it's folklore, it doesn't mean if it's true or not. It's just, you know, a story that is told traditionally. And there's a lot of other forms of folklore too. We talk about material culture. We talk about calendar customs and celebrations, you know, and this is what I keep telling people right now is, you know, you're getting through the pandemic because of folklore, because you're learning to, to bake bread and do crafts and, and communicate with your family members in other ways. We're building and creating new folklore every single day, which makes it such an interesting topic because, you know, that's another thing is people always think it's stuff in the past and it doesn't have to be necessarily things in the past. It can be things that are happening right now. And that's so important for culture and society to think about how we process information. That's a lot of what I do is how we process information and and what decisions we make based off of that information. But just what do these things mean? Because they all have meaning. We don't tell stories that have no meaning to us. Absolutely. And I think that people forget that so much of our experience is made up of stories, Mm, right? Yes. What are the stories we tell ourselves? What are the stories our families have told us? What are the stories our peer group has told us, our Mm -hmm. culture, our neighborhood, our schools? Like, we are constantly taking in stories. But then we seem to have this way of compartmentalizing those stories into, well, this is true. This is you know, just a story, or this is a fairy tale. Mm -hmm. And I think that folks seem, it sounds like the way you're describing it, and I think the way that I've understood it coming from other folks is folks equate folktale or folklore with fairy tale. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they do a lot of the time. And that's just one part of folklore. You know, these sort of stories that we tell children that are traditional, that have a lot of really deeply embedded cultural information in them. That's just one part of this. You know, I talk about how I study legend and rumor. And, you know, I think most people know what urban legends are, but they're more than just that. And in folklore, we tend to call them contemporary legends because they don't just happen in urban areas. And of course, they, they are contemporary. They happen right now. But looking at all those different types of stories, but we also talk about even your personal experience narrative. So the stories that you tell about your own life, that's a part of your own personal folklore. They not only share information about you, but they help you project an image of yourself that you want other people to know and understand. And they become part of you. So it's such an important point because that's exactly how we remember people. Absolutely. You don't remember people through they were tall and had brown hair and mm-hmm. hazel eyes. It was like, oh, this one time when we were out on a vacation or this one time when we, this crazy thing happened. And so we are built storytellers, even if we don't think that we are. Absolutely. And that's just how we We even tell stories to process information. And that, I think, is a great segue into talking about Black-eyed children today, which is what we're going to talk about. So in your findings around Black-eyed children, Mm -hmm. what do you feel like these accounts are telling us about our culture? Oh, so much. (laughs) So there's so many things here that is so deeply embedded in these narratives. There's this idea, once again, that sometimes when you're 
you're helpful, that you're putting yourself at risk because this is what the black eyed children do. They come to you and ask you for something and you want to do something nice because you are a decent human being, but there's a risk in being a good person. But they also talk about things like they're almost always about kids in hoodies. And I was just like, oh my gosh, you know, here's a deeply embedded thing that we think, you know, associate with crime are, you know, kids in hoodies Mm -hmm. committing crimes, right? Um, So that's another kind of part of that. And the fact that hoodies are mentioned so often, that's a weird cultural marker for us, especially right in this moment. But it also shows that sort of larger fear of teenagers and this idea that teens these days, kids these days, and all the things they do, we have those sort of things in there. But then, you know, there's also this element too, that kids are just fundamentally creepy. (laughs) And like they... (laughs) They are. They they do weird things. They say strange stuff. Um, you know, they are fundamentally creepy. And it is because, you know, they're like us. I mean, they're they're obviously they are us, but they're they're like adults, but they're not there yet, right? So, and we have this this sort of deeply embedded cultural idea that children are more pure somehow and more able to see the mm. supernatural. There's this idea, too, that they can be just as, like, infected by the supernatural as well. So, you know, we have this idea that they're in this sort of liminal space of being, you know, somewhere in between, not quite adult, not quite, you know, not existing. They're, like, existing in this different sort of space. And and we've created that space for them. And there's something just really kind of uncanny about kids. They look like adults, but they're the wrong size, right? And they like, their eyes are too big. They're, you know, they, they have very much, you know, what we would think of as, uh, you know, everyday characteristics of humans, but they're just like a little bit off. And we do have this weird fear of things that look like us, but aren't exactly right. Well, yeah. And I think about as, you know, teenagers, Lord knows how much we we probably like I can remember having my like phase in life commented on my body commented on like, oh, they're they're in that like awkward phase. Right. Oh, I think yeah. about kids that hit a growth spurt and suddenly it's like, oh, they're kind of gangly. Like mm-hmm. what? That's not quite right. And so I also wonder if black eyed children strike people as off because they are a little bit more free in what they do or what they say, because we know as adults, well, you can't just say anything you want. You can't just do anything you want. Yeah, exactly. There are there are rules about what you're allowed to do and what you're allowed to say. And I think that is part of our enculturation as children And part of that belief, too, that they're not yet enculturated, so they're open to more things, right? They're open to the supernatural. They're open to more stuff. They do really have that that sort of in-between space because we've we've not taught them all the rules yet, right? (laughs) So they don't know all the rules. And, And they push those boundaries, too. They know they don't know all the rules. They know what starts to freak us out. So they they start, sometimes they just say stuff to freak us out. Because, you know, at that point, too, they don't have their sense of empathy is not well developed yet. <laughs> so this mm-hmm. is also part of the reason why why kids are a little bit weird and creepy to us, too, because they don't have the same senses. They're they're not as like they're, you know, all of their senses of, of what's right and wrong, of what you do and don't do, what you do and don't say aren't developed yet. They're still learning that. Their brains aren't fully developed. So that's also a, a sort of dangerous place. Again, this like... I'm, hey, I'm human, but not quite getting there. Yeah. And I think that human, but not fully human, really says something about our anxieties around how quickly technology is advancing as well. 
Absolutely. And and I think that's so true because we have so many urban legends about technology and and just, you know, things going wrong and, you know, what could possibly happen. And I always think about that because the legends stay pretty much the same. They just end up being about new technology. So it's, you know, it's always the you know, it's going to give you cancer. And and people said that about sitting too close to the radio as sitting too close to the television as having your cell phone in your pocket. And so we like, we constantly hear that and we're hearing it right now about 5G. Um, So Mm -hmm. that fear of technology is, is always present in these because it's like, well, what if, what if like technology gets out of control and changes something fundamentally about us? Or what if technology gets out of control and, and, you know, other people or other beings start to visit us and they, you know, we're, we're exposing ourselves to the possibility that there are, are, you know, more people in the universe than we know about. And I mean, we've learned anything from science fiction and movies. It's that this does not work out well for us, right? (laughs) If if another species comes. It does not. Doesn't work out well for us. Um, so yeah, I think there's that fear too, because we've we've explored this, um, you know, via the stories we've told and the movies we show and and all those different ways. We've actually talked about this possibility and we don't think it's gonna work out in our favor at all. I think there's that concern too. And I mean, that even talks to our larger fear about just outsiders in general, people who are not us and, and whatever sort of way that people wanna interpret that that fear of outsiders is always present. And, and it's one of those things where, you know, we can talk about how like a lot of times it does show like deeply embedded racism and it shows deeply embedded, you know, fear. It's still always present that we're always worried that someone is going to come in and ruin everything. Right. And that's our, I think our fear of any kind of outsider, especially any kind of alien life form. Oh, definitely. Mm -hmm. So do you feel that the Black Eyed Children narratives could also tie in. And I know that these narratives have been happening for years. This is not like Black Eyed Children showed up last week. But (laughs) do you feel like the Black Eyed Children narratives also tell us something about our distrust of governmental agencies? Oh, absolutely. Especially true if you look at the Black Eyed Children, especially as being offshoots of of anything really associated with aliens, because that entire history of men in black, of aliens coming down, and it's all about government conspiracies and cover-ups. And I think there is that real fear that we're not getting the whole story. And of course, the pandemic has not made that any better, right? We, we're, <laughs> we still have this continued fear that our own government isn't telling us the whole story, that other governments aren't telling us the whole story. So there is this real distrust of these large institutions. So I think that's definitely, we're seeing it more and more. So one of the things that you touched upon about, like we've been talking about kind of in this, is technology, Mm -hmm. the online world. In your essay on Slenderman, you write that, quote, to digital immigrants, anything found online is immediately suspect or thought to be inauthentic, end quote. So in thinking about one, can you define what you mean by digital immigrants? And two, have you found in your research on Black-Eyed Children this to be the same case? Because the first real account of Black-Eyed Children shows up where? Online in 1996. So I'm just wondering if you found this to be true about Black-Eyed Children, because like Slender Man, Black-Eyed Children are both supernatural Mm -hmm. and found on the internet. Yeah, absolutely. The way I define digital immigrant is, you know, we we kind of use the terms digital native for anyone that was sort of born with the internet. 
um, and has had that their whole life. And then the digital immigrants as people who grew up without it and then immigrated to the world of being online, I guess you could say. And I think there's still this idea that there's a separation for some people, not for everyone, that there's a difference between in real life, IRL, versus what happens online. And that's not true for everyone. For some people, and I think definitely increasingly in this year, online is real life. Like that's, there's no separation between those two lives. And, you know, as someone who is a digital immigrant who grew up not having the internet and then pretty much got the internet in college, at least, you know, had a regular access to it. Um, You know, it's so funny to think about how I remember people saying like, well, that person's not really your friend. You met them online. And it was like, well, no, Mm, they're really mm -hmm. still my friend. And at the time too, it was like, well, but yeah, but I, now I know them face to face. And it's like, well, that still doesn't count. It's like your, your relationship only counted from the time you met face to face forward. And I always thought that was so odd because it's like, no, of course I've been my friend since we've been friends. Like, it doesn't matter if we've seen each other or not. And I think that's true for a lot of people. They have friends that they've never physically met. They feel very close to. And, and I certainly do as well. But for especially older generations, that just seems so suspect. Like, how do you even know those people? And it's that idea that you have to physically see someone to know them. And I don't think that's always necessarily true. Um, I think we can we can have friends that we've you know never physically laid eyes on, um, and we can spend time with people that we don't know in real life, if you want to put it in those terms. There's that sort of double distrust of it because both because it's happening online, but because also it's supernatural. So it's like, oh, well, things that happen online aren't real. You don't know those people. They could be anybody. They could just be making this up. How do you even know that's real? Um, plus, it's already supernatural. <laughs> so we're already dismissing the supernatural to begin with. So it does end up in these cases where it's like, well, this can't possibly be true. This must be you know, something somebody's doing as a joke or it's a creative writing project or something like that. Um, and there's, so there's this automatic distrust of that. However, I really do think that sometimes people are more honest online because they're thinking to themselves, I don't really know these people. <laughs> I don't know these people are, or they're thinking these people are like me. I've found this, this group of people who are like me. They think like me, they understand me. They've had similar experiences to me and these other people in my real life don't understand me. Um, so there's, you know, kind of two different ways that can really go. So yeah, the idea that because black eyed children really started online and they, you know, most of the accounts are online, the pictures are online. It does, it really creates that issue where we don't believe it automatically because it's supernatural. And then we automatically don't believe it because it's online. And we think that somebody's messing with us. So it it makes it all the more complicated to talk about it. And that night woke up with the children staring at her. So Andrea, in thinking about the accounts that you've read about black-eyed children, is there an account that you came across that really stood out to you where you were like, whoa, this is maybe different than the others or that just really kind of stuck with you? Yeah, there was one that I was reading because I was um, all the ones I kept reading were people who saw the black eyed children, but didn't do what they asked or didn't let them in or, you know, and I was like, OK, well, what happens if they get let in? And there was a lot of people who were like, well, that's why there are no accounts. We don't know what happens. Like they disappear. They're gone. They're dead. They're something. I did find this one account, though, that I thought was really interesting about it was a woman who noticed that there were children playing outside 
and that they looked a little off. And it was also raining. So they're like, why are these kids playing outside in the rain? And thought it was sort of odd, but then kind of got distracted by something else, went off and did something. And that night woke up with the same children staring at her in bed. Ooh, and I, no. <laughs> I know. Yeah. So I had the, the initial, oh no, 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 thank you uh, reaction to that. But also I was like, oh, this is so different than a lot of the other narratives. And they just said, we just want to look at you. Mm. I was like, oh, oh, that's a big no thank you. Um, <laughs> you know? um, and then I guess she turned to wake up her husband for help and they disappeared. And I thought, oh my gosh, that is such a terrifying story. Like, how did they get in? I have so many questions. Like, you know, what, what happened there? Um, so I think to me that having that big question mark about, well, what happens? Why are there no stories of, you know, the people who did give them the glass of water, let them in to use the phone or, you know, do any of that kind of stuff, like drove them home. Why are there no stories about that? And it was, you know, I only found very few of those. So I think that was one of the ones that really stood out to me. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you were talking about people feeling a little bit more free to tell their stories online. And, you know, in your essay, you argue that people are a little more honest online because they can be more anonymous, right? They can feel more Mm -hmm. anonymous. And so these stories, even in trying to find accounts of people who actually want to be open and talk about this is very difficult, because people don't want to be seen as outsiders or they don't. One, I've seen a lot of folks having fear that if they talk about it or talk about who they truly are, that this phenomenon will return, that the Black Eyed Children will return. Mm-hmm. And I think from everything that I've read, nobody wants that. No, thank you. I don't mm-hmm. I don't want them to come back. But also tying into what you're saying, that fear of isolation, that fear of being ostracized, like, oh, okay, having a Black Eyed Children, okay, you know, people being labeling them as crazy or out of their minds because, again, they're interacting with people that feel that the supernatural and the paranormal is taboo. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think that makes it so hard for people to tell their stories and to feel comfortable telling their stories because we've turned it into this. It's you either these things are either real or they're not. And then in addition to that, we have this whole narrative, like you mentioned, about how acknowledging that makes it worse or it can bring it back. Where do people tell these stories? Well, you know, sometimes they tell them online. You know, we've talked about a lot of things today, Andrea, and I love it. This has been such a great (laughs) conversation. Yes. But I need to ask you. What do you think the black-eyed children are? You know, it, I have so many ideas. I'm not entirely sure. I like the ideas that it might be something that we have created by our belief in it. So the idea of the uh, the tulpa or the Gregor that we have created it into being because it's something we have paid attention to or something that we have manifested in some sort of way. Um, and there's a lot of beliefs about Slender Man in that same sort of way is that he did not exist until we created him by believing in him. Um, so it could be that the Black Eyed Children fall under that category. You know, I also, I do kind of like, they do remind me so much of the Men in Black. So I, I kind of like this idea that maybe the men in black were like, oh, this this adult thing isn't working out. Maybe kids. They seem to like kids. <laughs> I like this idea that like, I like to think about the logic that the men in black have apparently. Um, but I like this idea that maybe there are um, another sort of form of a men in black kind of situation that they're not necessarily out to get us. They're just interested in us. They want to see what we'll do. They're, they're you know, curious about us. 
Yeah, maybe they're doing some sort of sympathy experiment on us. I don't know. There's so many other possibilities. You know, I've even seen people talk about demons and, and you know, these sort of ideas too. So it's really hard to say exactly what they are, but it, it is interesting that the stories are, are pretty similar where there's that, you know, you see usually two or so of them, they tend to be male. Um, you have this this sort of feeling of fear or dread, and then you notice the the black eyes. I, I You know, there's so many stories like that. It'll be really interesting to to really think about what that could mean and what it does mean to people, because that's the other thing too. We've kind of talked about what it means culturally, but what does it mean to the individual? How does it make them feel? And what does it make them think about the world? Yeah. And that is such a personal thing because mm-hmm. where we might see commonalities in these accounts, it doesn't mean that the person, the people that are experiencing these interactions all have the same set of feelings about those. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Really, really personal. Mm -hmm. What kind of supernatural thing could make her act like that? So we have some questions from our followers on Twitter that want to know the answers to. So Mm -hmm. here are the questions from the Twitterverse. User at Masery9 asks, do you feel the black-eyed children could be a form of egregore created from a story that ran on the internet? Yeah, absolutely. I like that idea that we've created it and we've brought it into being because of our belief in it. So we started with it, someone posted about it and a bunch of people kind of jumped on it and kind of created it out of nothingness. That is a sort of an interesting idea. And it really does link back to a lot of the beliefs about Slender Man as well, is that he is not something that existed before someone created the photoshops of him and and created him and that belief is what actually caused him to exist. So I really like that idea that I, well, I should say I shouldn't say I like that idea. I'm a little bit terrified by that idea, but I also <laughs> appreciate that idea that that we can actually bring things into existence by either creating them or even just paying attention to them. And can you, for folks who may not be familiar what an egregore is, give a quick explanation of that? Sure, yeah. So um, it's also linked to a concept called a tulpa or a thought form. And this is the idea that by creating something that we actually give it life. Um, So by thinking about it, by focusing on it, that we can make something that didn't exist before sort of come into existence. And then the other Twitter question we have for you is at Prisoner 646 asks, have there been any accounts where the interaction with black-eyed children ended happily or well? (laughs) Yeah, I did not find any where people had a good, happy, it's not like anybody was like, sure, come on inside and have a glass of water and everything ended fine. Most of the accounts do not include inviting the children in. They don't include any sort of like giving them a ride or anything like that. They're almost always about, I saw the child, I was afraid of them, so I didn't let them in. And it kind of begs the idea then somebody must have let them in. So what happened to them? Why are there no accounts of it? And it's like, oh, well, is it because they disappeared or died or they're gone into another dimension. I don't know, right? So that's that's a really interesting story. And it it also kind of brings up another idea that's very close to Slender Man is that there's no positive experiences with Slender Man. Like you have some of those sort of like parodies of him, like Splendor Man, where he's a happy guy, but you don't really have like a true Slender Man experience does not have a happy ending, right? That there's no, there's no way to get him to stop stalking you. There's no way to to kind of move about from him. And it's kind of, it seems like the same with the black eyed kids that 
like you either keep them out or you let them in and nobody knows what happens to you. And that's really fascinating. Like I kind of, I kind of want accounts. Um, and it's funny too, because some of the accounts where people have claimed they have let them in everyone else, like on the board or everyone else that's involved is like, that's not true. You're making that up. That's not, that's not what would happen. Mm. That's really interesting too. Cause like there, I read a couple where someone's like, yeah. And I fought them off. And someone's like, you can't fight them off with mere mortal weapons, you know? like. <laughs> So, you know, it's like that idea that they can't be dealt with in a way that we would deal with something else that, you know, we're used to, I guess you could say, or, or something else that's already known. Which is just fascinating mm-hmm. to me because it's just levels of storytelling upon storytelling upon storytelling. Yeah, it really is. Well, Andrea, thank you so much for sitting down with me today on the Mysteries Decoded podcast and decoding black-eyed children and black-eyed kids and these accounts and a little bit of our culture and what the stories we tell tell us about ourselves. I've really enjoyed our talk today. Oh, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for listening to the Mysteries Decoded podcast. I hope you enjoyed decoding black-eyed children with us, and I look forward to you joining us next time to decode our next mystery. The Mysteries Decoded podcast is brought to you by the CW Podcast Network and is hosted and produced by me, Darcy Staniforth. Our executive producer is Jen Titus. Our audio engineer is Joel Smith. Our editor and audio producer is Joshua Sterling Manley. 